Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, an ex-Apple designer and the original head of design for Jack Dorsey at Square, Daniel Shriver. Daniel has had an awesome journey that's been fueled by his passion for design. And at the end, Daniel gives an awesome piece of advice, how careers are long. Let's see. I'm recording this on Sunday morning, the day of the football games. I want Los Angeles to win because I live here and they're exciting. I'm really a Vikings fan, though, because my dad's from Minnesota and I grew up in Utah where there were no football teams. The Chiefs are also exciting. We'll see if these young teams can take down Brady and Breeze. It's tough going against that kind of experience. You see it happen in the business world, too. It's just like startups going against entrenched industry players. Uber versus taxis. Airbnb versus hotels. Netflix versus the media industry. No matter how great your user experience is, how great your team is, going up against an established player, an established industry, that's hard and requires tons and tons of cash. That's one way a startup could go. Or they could go after a market that's not being served by a huge company yet. Or also they could create an entirely new market. Pay clubs in the camp of going after a market that's not being served. Sure, there's the banks and there's Venmo and Cash App as as well as some club management tools that organizations piece together to collect money from lots of people. But there's not a product dedicated to this. It's not an unknown problem. Companies have tried to solve group payments and failed. There was a company called WePay. They tried 10 years ago, pre-Venmo. And more recently, there was Tilt. Tilt proved that it's possible to get millions of users and create network effects on a college campus. They just never figured out a way to make money. We think we have an answer to that. So instead of us going directly, competing against PayPal and Square and the banks, the Tom Brady and Drew Breeses of our industry, we're going around them. It's exciting. Right now, as we're traveling through the Midwest, talking with student leaders, they're loving the app. So that's the update. As always, get in touch with me, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. And if you want, sign up to be a pay club ambassador and spread the word at your school. Daniel Shriver, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to be here. Yeah, you, um, you're an award-winning designer, but now you're an investor, advisor, you've got the startup bug. Let's, uh, I guess let's, let's go back to the beginning. Were you, um, were you always kind of an artistic child? No, not at, not at all. I mean, I think I have a, a pretty unconventional path. So I actually grew up 
Um, I did not, I did not consider myself at all an artist of any sort. In fact, my least favorite class in uh, high school was art class because I just didn't, to me, I just didn't, it wasn't interesting enough. It wasn't really hard enough. And I just didn't feel like I had that skill. So I think what made me eventually kind of find design and fall in love with design was actually through, um, HTML and CSS and kind of shipping, um, taking, taking a, a class over one uh, summer and, uh, shipping a website and kind of the act of being able to build something with your hands and then share it with other people. That's when I finally kind of figured out that design's this great combination of you're using your gut, you're using your intuition, and you're using both sides of your brain, and you're also solving hard problems. And that was kind of my aha moment. Yeah, you're right. You know, Daniel, I haven't had, I don't think I've had any designers on this on this podcast yet. So this is, I'm excited to do this. This is an interesting conversation. I, I like what you're talking about and using both sides of your brain, you know, the one side is very technical, developing websites, and yeah, the other side is very artistic. Uh, that's that that's interesting how you say that. Yeah, no, and that was, you know, it was not something. I guess I, I think the only way I could have found it was by stumbling, stumbling across it, and um, that's kind of been a theme in my uh, career and life so far. <laughs> right. So you you take this class, you say, oh, this is this is interesting. Uh, I mean, a lot of people take classes that they find interesting, but. They don't necessarily build their whole life around it. So how did you develop that? Where'd you go from from there? Yeah, so actually it was more, I took the class, you know, I uh, created my first website and then I realized it looked just awful. (laughs) It just looked atrocious. I didn't want to share it with anybody. And so I, you know, kind of, thought to myself, oh man, well now I need to, you know, figure out what this should, should look like. You know, I wanted to make something I could be proud of that I could share with other people. And so I started, you know, just trying to figure out like, how do I lay this out? You know, how do I play with color? And, um, you know, just kind of felt my way around it. And I think the, um, just that combination again of trying to figure out how to make this thing look a certain way, how to make it look like something I'd be proud of or have a certain aesthetic. And also at the same time, being able to build it, you know, that was what was interesting for me. And so, I, um, just kind of, you know, just fell in love with it. And and for me, it was both, it was just being able to build something, but design was the way I ultimately kind of expressed that. And the, 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 uh, discipline I was attracted to, I mean, you, as an engineer, you do the exact same thing. You just use a different set of skills, you know, and I think design and engineering are not, um, that different. I think they're a lot more similar than they are different. Um, you know, but for me, I, you know, started doing it on my own and I just, you know, loved this thing and this, I found this, you know, when I was in high school. And so as I was getting ready to leave high school and think about what I wanted to do, um, this was something I just did kind of nights and weekends. And at first it was literally anyone I could find, um, that would have, (laughs) I invent projects for myself. I'd, I'd go to people and ask if I could work on something for them and, you know, started out kind of working out for free just because it was really interesting. And I've always really enjoyed, um, the kind of bottom part of the learning curve where what you, you know, what you want to be able to make, what you want to be able to do is, is so far apart. It's both maddening and really fun to feel yourself kind of making progress towards that. And so, you know, started out with free work, then eventually made it to a place where I had enough, uh, had a big enough and good enough body of work. I could start charging for it and, you know, just kind of, um, leapt off from there. And I never, you know, finished, finished uh, college. I went to, two years of college and kind of had this fork in the road moment where, um, 
I was either going to transfer to a four-year university and I had a good idea of which one I'd want to go, or I could pursue this new passion of mine that I was really enjoying, which was design. And I felt like I needed to pick one or the other. Um, and I ultimately decided I was going to, you know, pause school, quit my job at the time and just take six months and see if I could make a go of it on my own. And, you know, those six months were, I made every mistake you could make, you know, in the book, I was, you know, producing my own work. I was billing, I was negotiating with clients. I was doing the design work. So I was literally wearing kind of every hat of, um, you know, do, doing the business of that. And, you know, I wouldn't say I didn't at the end of those six months, it wasn't like, wow, I, I knocked it out of the park, but it was like, I survived and I feel a lot better equipped, you know, to do this in the future. And kind of from there, I, um, ended up taking a job uh, for an agency in LA and that eventually led me to moving out to San Francisco to, to join Apple a couple years later. Right. Daniel, I, I really like this idea. I mean, people go to college just like me. I went to college. I, I didn't really, I knew, I knew I wanted to work in finance, but, uh, to get the job I wanted to get, I knew I had to graduate college and then I got that investment banking job, but I was still kind of unsure about my path in life. I didn't really have like this maniacal focus like you had. So it's, it's a amazing that you were able to articulate and understand your passion and then B just to put everything else out of your mind and say, I'm going to go pursue this. Like I imagine growing up, you probably thought you were going to graduate from college, right? Oh yeah. In my family, that was like, you know, my, my mom had a spiel she used to give us, uh, probably a couple times a year of just the progression of things. And it was like, you will graduate from college, you know, after you graduate, you will work for a couple years, you know, then you can get married and start a family. And it was this really clear linear progression. And I had always, you know, intended to go to college, but I think for me, the other thing too was, you know, I started working as soon as I could get a worker's permit at 15 and a half. And from that point forward, I, I always had a full-time job. And I think that shaped a lot of, um, you know, kind of just my approach because for me, it was much less like, what am I interested? What do I want to learn? And it was more like, I just really enjoy, uh, I just really enjoy working. I really enjoy getting better at something. And I, you know, it, it, from the kind of those early days, I just enjoyed being able to support myself and, you know, take, <laughs> take a little bit of a load off my family. And so that was also a part of that consideration too. Yeah. I'm actually reading this book right now called Grit. And it, one of the things that, oh yeah, yeah. So, but it was, but it was saying it's important for, to work, uh, while you're young, like have a job when you're a kid. And like that really establishes a lot of grit inside of you for later on. I think it's really important. And, you know, I think that's, that's been something interesting too, as I've gotten further along in my career and, um, you know, the best, it's just, I have a strong opinion about it, but the best people I've worked with aren't people that have, um, you know, they don't have a master's in fine art. They haven't been formally taught art or design. They're just people that have, um, you know, they love it. They've always pursued it and they're always trying to get better at it. And it's just been this kind of, you know, passion for them. Um, and I think that's all, the best way you learn too, especially in, you know, I think it's true for engineering. Again, I think it's very true for design. You can learn all the principles and techniques, and at the end of the day, you'll learn those one way or another, whether it's in school or whether it's um, on your own, just kind of piecing it together and, and learning it by just coming into contact with reality. You'll, you'll learn those core principles, but I think what I've always been really interested in is working, you know, just by doing for clients, you just get, you just learn the soft skills much better and much faster than you do. And I think that's been a really interesting thing is I think formal education, 
gives you the hard skills, but it doesn't teach you, you know, and this is true in the U.S., whether we're talking about, you know, K through 12 or college, it doesn't teach you any of the, the soft skills of like, how do you take feedback well? How do you, how do you pitch a client well? How do you negotiate a rate, you know, a rate and, and close a project? Like, how do you push back on a client? Like, these are all things that are actually a lot more important and can be a lot more frustrating and challenging than the actual design work, but they're like, they're a piece of doing the job. Right. Daniel, I, can, I, I mean, I remember my my first internship, uh, sophomore year of college, I was working at a real estate fund, and I, I came out of that 10 weeks, and I was like, wow, I just learned more than I've learned in my entire life in, in, in 10 weeks. So yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to argue that you would just do it, and you're going to learn a, a lot more. I love that idea of, uh, of just doing it. Okay, so you're in LA, you skip college, you're working at this advertising firm, and then you said you moved to San Francisco. Why'd you move to San Francisco? Yeah, so it was super happenstance, you know, and a lot of like in hindsight, you know, I think this is true for, um, for everyone, you know, at a certain point in your life, like in hindsight, kind of it all makes sense. And it all seems like a nice clean progression and like this kind of clean path. But, you know, at that point in time, it was, um, this is really serendipitous. You know, I was working at this advertising agency and, and part of, um, you know, just, starting out by doing work is the most important thing for me has always been my port, you know, my portfolio. And I think if you don't have any, if you don't have formal, um, training, if you don't have a formal degree, then the way you sell people. And I think it's, you know, still the best way to, to close clients, to get, to get work is just by actually just showing, you know, your, your portfolio. And so at the time I was kind of re rebooting my portfolio online and I put it on a site, um, called Behance or the Behance network. And, um, ended up getting featured on their homepage and a recruiter at Apple ended up finding my work and getting in contact with me. And so one day, you know, out of the blue, um, I got this email and literally my first thought is there's no, there's no way. Like <laughs> see, there has to be, there has to be, this has to be a joke. This has to be reaching out to the, to the wrong person. Just like, you know, this, this sense of disbelief. And I think, you know, what was interesting is that that if you had talked to me at that point in time and said, you know, where do you kind of want your, you know, where do you want to go in your career or what's the, you know, the job you're ultimately aiming for, you know, in, in my mind, I would have said, Oh, I'd love to work at Apple at some point in the future, you know, or I'd love to get good enough to be able to work at Apple. And so I just got lucky in that, you know, someone found my work online. And so they ended up flying me out to San Francisco for the weekend. I went and interviewed with their team and, you know, I was just blown away and we could talk more about why and what's so, you know, special, um, about working at Apple as a designer and that culture. But, you know, I think the thing that I ended up taking away from that experience was, um, I think what, what I learned is, you know, I, again, I didn't have this formal training. I learned on my own. So what I really got at Apple was how do you do repeatably excellent design and what does that look like? And what is that process like? And what are you kind of biasing for? And, uh, you know, they just have that nailed to a T and that's why quarter after quarter, year after year, um, they're able to continue executing that. And in design, I think, especially if you're talking about startup design, that's you quickly learn how rare that is and how special that is. Um, and it's for a lot of different factors. Wow, Daniel, I love, I mean, look at how the universe just worked out for you. Like you, I mean, very I was very lucky in that. Yeah. I mean, you need that luck in your career, but I mean, obviously you worked hard and were persistent and determined to get yourself to have that luck. Like none of that would happen without any of your persistence before that. Um, but yeah, you, you need a little luck in life. And I love that idea. I talk about it a lot on this podcast that put yourself in the right place, be a doer, work hard and the universe will help you. 
Yeah, I really, I really do think so. I think it's just about, you know, exactly. You just need to do the work to put yourself in a position where you can, uh, you know, be the recipient of those sorts of opportunities. And, you know, I would still, if someone were to, you know, that, that's a, I think a lot of people don't attribute enough of their success to luck. And I think that's one instance for sure, but I was absolutely lucky. I put in a lot of work before that, you know, and I worked really hard while I was there and, you know, getting the opportunities only part of, um, you know, the challenge and part of the, part of the fun. But, um, that was definitely an instance of luck. And I think you just got to put yourself in those, in those positions. Right. So to me, I don't know that much about design, but I know that Apple's designs are very, 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 sleek and simple and straightforward. And whenever I see something like that, I have to assume that more work has to go into making something that's simple than, than less simple. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about the time at Apple. Did you work with Johnny Ive? Like, you know, that, what was that like? Yeah. So I did, I didn't work with Johnny Ive at that point in time, you know, hardware design's always been a really different and separate discipline from kind of marketing and uh, user interface design. And so at Apple, the structure is hardware is its own, you know, is a separate team, uh, product UI is a separate team, and then you have marketing. And so I joined the marketing team and a lot of what I worked on was, um, you know, what you see when you visit apple.com and when a new product product launches on apple.com and, you know, how do you tell the story of a new, of a new iPhone or of a new Mac or of a new piece of software? Um, and so now I know, you know, I can't, I'm, this is, I'm speaking from, you know, quite a few years ago now, now it's a lot more integrated and all the designs kind of underneath, um, Johnny Ive, but at that point in time, it wasn't the case, but what, um, what was, I think just, you know, there were so many things that were amazing about that experience, but I think a couple that were uh, still really stick with me. I think one of the things is when, um, a lot of, you know, now that I've been through a few different companies and also work with a handful of companies as an advisor, you know, I really see how important culture and building a culture of just design and a culture that has a clear bar and that everyone's pushed, you know, they're pushing themselves and they're pushing each other to reach this bar. I think that's critical. And one of the ways that Apple did that, that's so simple, but still sticks with me to this day is every time, you know, you walked into that building, the first thing you saw before you even got to the kitchen or got to any of the hallways was a blank wall in front of you that just had simplify, simplify, simplify on it. And the first two simplifies were crossed out and the last simplify was on its own. And that really is still, you know, there's a lot of ways to describe the design process there, but I think that's probably the most succinct. And, you know, some of what I, what I learned in terms of how do you, you know, what does that look like in the design process? You're absolutely right. I mean, you do way more work. What people see at the, at the end when something ships is, you know, it's like the tip of the iceberg and all the work that happened is, is hidden underneath it. And some of the stuff in terms of how they run the design process, um, just really shaped the way that I approach it. But some of the stuff that sticks with me is, um, you know, they were huge believers in leaving time for exploration. And now that I'm kind of on the other side of, you know, I've worked at Apple and I've now, um, you know, work mainly with early stage startups, you know, there's nothing that could be further from how most startups approach it than to leave time for exploration and to make sure there's enough time in the, in the process that you can go through a lot of ideas you can throw out a lot of ideas and you can pick the handful of best ideas and kind of push those forward. And what was interesting about the design process there is, you know, we would all, we'd work in small teams. It's kind of like the military in that sense, you know, usually working like a five to seven person team. 
Um, and you know, we would have literally at the start of a project three, four, even six weeks of just exploration. And we all knew at the end when this thing shipped, you know, our job was to just push everything a little bit forward. And what was going to ship was going to be incremental, sometimes, you know, pretty big improvements, but mostly incremental improvements. And so we would just look at a ton of different ideas and winnow that down um, and be really critical. And I think one of the other things that stuck with me too is, you know, when a lot of creative direction is a, is a big piece of doing design work. And when a lot of people are either a part of reviews or when they hear that word, they think it's somebody, you know, looking at work and just throwing out opinions and ideas and saying, I don't like this. I like this. Why don't you do this instead? And that's not at all how the best creative directors and the best teams do it. And I think what I loved about Apple's process was, you know, at the time I was a really young junior, you know, junior designer and I had people that had been working for decade, decades in some cases working with me. And no matter what level of experience they were at, the way they always approached it is just asking questions. And so if they were looking at a piece of work, you know, rather than saying, I don't like this, they'd say, that's really interesting. You know, what, what made you take this approach? Or did you consider, you know, this other way we could handle this? Or what if we did this instead? And I think that just makes it so that what you discuss is more possible. You know, you discuss more possibilities and you discuss things a lot more objectively. Um, and so I think, you know, to try to wrap it up, um, you know, both the way they thought about how valuable exploration was. And I think a lot of the way I've kind of framed that in my own mind is it's like valuable inefficiency because a lot of people, especially from the startup world, would look at the design process at Apple and be like, oh, I see six weeks you can cut out, just cut out this whole exploration phase in the beginning of the project. And then you guys can be shipping stuff in, you know, four weeks instead of 12 weeks. And yet that time when it looks like nothing's happening is really the most valuable. And once you get out of that, what you're really doing is just piecing it all together. And you're kind of doing the manual labor and assembly of design. But in that first phase is where you've asked all the big questions, you've thrown out all the big ideas. Um, so, so that, and then the second piece is just, you know, when you're thinking about critiquing work and how to how to um, kind of discuss it as a team always frame stuff as questions and stay out of giving subjective feedback or, or directions and and just really ask questions that allow everyone to engage and you guys to figure out a solution together yeah I really appreciate that open-mindedness that has not been my experience in working at big companies uh, my bosses have said I'm wrong I'm right you're wrong and this is how we're doing it uh and then that, surprisingly enough, drove me to being an entrepreneur and, and not taking orders from, from bosses like that. And yeah, now we've got a very open team. Um, okay, so I, I like everything you're saying, Daniel. So tell us what's next. Yeah, so after, you know, I had been at Apple for three and a half years. And, you know, to go back to kind of my comment earlier about that growth curve, um, you know, it was just probably, you know, the, out of still probably in my entire career, those three and a half years are probably the you know most aggressive part of the growth curve. I just learned so so much that I could not have learned in any other environment, and I worked with just world class people and all at all levels. And I think that was another thing I took away from the experience is um, you know a lot of when people think about design or what goes into an Apple product, they don't know. You know, it's a lot like if you watch, you know. We, we all go to movies, you know, we all see Marvel, Marvel movies. And, you know, when you get to the end of the, you know, when you get to the end of the movie and the credits start rolling, I don't think enough people appreciate that, like to create what's on screen, it's not the director and someone behind the camera and a script writer and a couple actors. It's 
like hundreds of people. And on some productions, movie productions in particular, it's thousands of people. And at Apple, it was, you know, there were so many people that you just never know were a part of that process. But, you know, working with really great copywriters, working with really great information architects, or, you know, sometimes today they're, they can be called UX designers, working with really good, we had a whole team that just cre- um, created just high resolution, beautiful assets. Like literally they, you know, rebuild the screenshots of iPhones and they draw all the icons and they draw everything so that every piece of the, every piece of those pages just look in, just looks incredible. And so there's a really big team behind it. Um, but to get back to your, to answer your question, you know, kind of at the end of those three and a half years, I kind of, you know, was just taking stock of things. And I realized a couple things. I realized I had learned how to be successful, um, as a designer in this Apple process, you know, in this Apple, um, kind of organization and team. And once you figure that out, I mean, Apple's aesthetic doesn't change. It evolves, it iterates, it's, it's always like refining itself. But once you figure out how to be successful there, you've kind of, you've kind of nailed that. And so that was one thing. And then the other was, I just kind of saw my growth curve flattening. And I thought, you know, if I, I kind of, you know, I've always been pretty self-aware and I think, you know, my, my honest assessment was I was really early on in my career and I wasn't sure if I wanted to be the guy that, you know, it was an amazing opportunity, but I don't know if staying in Apple for 10 years would have been the best long-term call. And so I ultimately decided I should challenge myself, do what was kind of least comfortable. And so I started looking at what would be next. And I ended up finding, um, Jack Dorsey and the, the design team at Square, at that time, and um, you know, out of it was it's fascinating looking back because at that point in time, there was no one leaving companies like Apple to go and work at a startup. That just wasn't a thing. And now today, you know, all the best designers I know have been in and out of startups. It's like it's a very acceptable thing, and it doesn't have doesn't seem to have a lot of risk around it. But at that time, you know, I think a lot of people would have said that was a, a risky move. But what I saw was a company that. Um, has a tremendous amount of potential, had an actual business model that was, you know, creating revenue from day one and had a team in place. A lot of them were ex Apple designers that was just world-class. And even today and in, you know, my experience working for some of the best, um, early stage companies, the quality and the caliber of that early stage square team was just absolutely off the charts. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I saw that at the time, I didn't really appreciate it as well as I appreciate it today. Um, but I ended up joining that team as a, as a product designer and, um, about six months later taking over and leading that team and reporting into Jack and joining the executive team. And, uh, I got a chance, a reluctant chance. I was, I was reluctant, but I, I got the chance to, um, lead that team and grow it from four at the time to uh, almost 40 in size and, and kind of take what I had learned in my career thus far and try to shape and figure out what does design, what does the design team look like at square? And what was so cool about that opportunity is it was all the disciplines, you know, it was, we had a video production team in house. We had a team that handled photography. We had a product design team. We had a packaging and print team because we had to, you know, create the packaging for all the hardware we were selling. And that included retail displays. And, um, so, you know, it was just across the board and it was, and, uh, it was an amazing challenge. Yeah. I mean, that, that's so cool to be so interdisciplinary like that. So we're now looking back on the, you were on the marketing side at Apple and now at Square, you're doing design across the product, the marketing, everything. Where do you, you know, where do you like working the most? 
It's a great, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think for me, what I enjoy now is wherever I can have the highest leverage. And so that's a lot of, you know, a lot of what I do now is work with early stage companies and, uh, what's consistent about them is their ridiculous, you know, ridiculously talented, smart teams. I believe in what they're creating. And I think that it's really unique and, and, uh, has a chance of being a, you know, a defining company in its space. But, you know, they just don't know they're missing part of the equation or they're not quite sure how to solve, you know, the design problem as it applies to their company. And I think what's so interesting now is, you know, it used to be, I think, you know, five, maybe more years ago when, when you would think of the term design, I think a lot of people would think of like, oh, it's, it's nice to have, you know, it's something we can always like add on later on. And, you know, it's, it's uh, not super strategic and, you know, we probably don't need to have a team in house. And I think what's really changed and terms of just everyone's assessment of design is, you know, people have now come to understand that just, just like engineering is, you know, how everything gets built design is really, how do you connect, um, the values and the mission of the company, the, the problems you're trying to solve and actually making sure that the customer can see and interact with all of those things. And then a lot of times, you know, design is literally creating the look, the feel, the it, like energy and vibe, you know, that you get, that you get from a company. Um, and so I wouldn't say, I mean, there's not, I enjoy a, a lot of them and I've had the chance to, you know, creative direct photo and video shoots. And I've had the chance to work on identity redesigns and marketing. There's not really one that I, that I prefer. I think what I just enjoy is the problem of like, I see a, tr- I, I see what this could become. I see what it is now. And I work with companies to try to bridge that gap and figure that out. Oh, that's, that's so cool. And that applies well to the startup space. Now you you see an opportunity, there's uh, something missing on the design side and you can add your expertise and try to make another square. Well, and I think the, you know, the interesting thing too, is uh, I think a lot of people still see design and it's kind of like this mystical art and that's not what it, there's nothing mystical <laughs> about the design process when you, when you really get into it. But I think it's just one of those things that it's such a, I think we're now starting to appreciate more and more that there's, you know, have, have an appreciation for specialties and specialists. And I think design is, you know, it's a very kind of specialty discipline. And in order to do good design, it takes a lot of different specialists working as a team to create something. And so I think a lot of what I do too, is just help, um, you know, founders that are usually technically inclined or, you know, come from more of a business or sales background and try to help them just, just figure out and demystify the design process and, and how that should apply to their company. And so it's everything from, you know, I've worked with companies like Lending Home to rebrand and help reposition the company as they change and kind of evolve their business strategy. And I've also worked with, you know, kind of pre-seed companies where it's literally just me and the founder sometimes trying to take their vision and their ideas and kind of, you know, put that into pixels and try to extract that out. And a lot of that in that pre-seed stage is just helping them even articulate and tell a story, you know, because, you can put together a deck, but I think a lot of times, you know, the best way to get across to investors or to people that you want to hire, um, you know, and kind of sell them on, on the vision and the mission is just to literally show them like, here it is, here's what it could be. Here's what it could look like. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really cool, Daniel. Okay. So last question here, it's kind of the advice section of the podcast. You've talked about recognizing, the, the factor of luck in your career. And I think you've really exemplified well starting your career off at a big company and then kind of moving 
down towards smaller companies. That's a much easier progression than going from, from small to big. But is there, let's say you're talking to someone who's 21 years old, they're graduating from college, they didn't have the focus that you did at that age, they're not quite sure what they want to do in the world. What do you, you know, what, what do you tell someone like that? That's a great, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I'm gonna, the, the thing that's worked for me, I guess I would just return to, um, you know, kind of my own experience and, and what's worked for me is just, you know, find the thing that you're just fascinated at. And I think the reason is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I think one of the reasons that's so important is, you know, I, I read, um, I read a quote maybe a week and a half ago, something like that. And the, the, the gist of it was, you know, if we look at like all life expectancies, we're quickly heading towards a place where the average person will live to be a hundred. And if you think about then this notion that, okay, if you're a hundred years old, then maybe your career is, you know, say 50, 60, you know, years, uh, this notion that you're going to have this four year <laughs> block of time at the beginning of those 50, 60 years, and that that's going to set you up for success over the, over all those decades is just hysterical. And I think it, you know, what that, uh, what that shows so well is this notion that, you know, you can go to a school, you can go to school, you can get a, get a degree. And after that, you're, you're mostly done, I think is dead. And the people that are going to, you know, get the best jobs and continue to do really well in their career are people that are always improving, always getting better, always learning, always refining what they're doing. And the only way you're going to do that is if you do something that, you know, I don't know if love is the right word, but that you're just fascinated or obsessed by. And so I would just find that obsession in your life you know, and for me, it's, it's design. I also love just investing in business. And so those are things that is as weird as those might seem (laughs) as, uh, you know, three things to come together and for one person to be interested in, like, I love those things. And that's why I try to find ways to, to make my career and make what I do every single day kind of fall into those, into those three buckets. And so I think that that would be my piece of advice is just find that and then continuously push yourself and, and do the uncomfortable things. And, you know, even when you're comfortable, make that leap to the next thing or try something different or try a bigger challenge and just continue pushing yourself. And that's not just in your career. I mean, I think especially as I've gotten older, I've realized just to try to think holistically. And so now, you know, when, when I, when I think about my life, I think like, okay, I always want to be pushing myself physically, you know, in terms of kind of fitness and health. Okay. I always want to be pushing myself in terms of what I'm, what I'm learning and what I'm reading and how I'm kind of distilling and condensing all that stuff together. You know, I want to do that same thing in my career. And so I would also encourage people to like, don't focus on just one thing to the exclusion of others and look at your life holistically. And you're, you know, I think the ultimate goals just to get better, a little bit better every single day, a little bit more competent, a little stronger and healthier every single day, you know, a little bit better relationships. And I think that just that power of compounding over time will, will have amazing effects. Yeah. Careers are long. Daniel, that's, it's such a comforting idea. Uh, this was so much fun speaking with you. I, I really can't thank you enough for, for coming on the podcast, sharing your story, sharing your advice. This was great. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast.